0: So i just finished the orange and white game and my biggest takeaway is we really have to wait five months to see this team on the field again you are locked on longhorns your daily podcast on the texas longhorns part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we're talking the orange and white game. A lot of great players, a lot of great plays on offense and on defense. We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get into the individual players and position groups that really shined on this football team, I want to talk about my overall takeaways. And I didn't get a chance to watch it live. It was Saturday. I was moving around a little bit, watching baseball, watching some playoff basketball, amongst other things. And I don't have Longhorn Network, so I knew I would probably have to wait until Nash put the every play up on YouTube. And I want to take a moment to give Nash his flowers because he is such a godsend and we can't overstate what he does for this fan base on YouTube, right? But like I said, I was not watching it live, but I'm keeping up with it on, on Twitter, right? And on Twitter, the Kool-Aid is just flowing. It's offense, offense, offense. Steve Sarkeesian, Malik Murphy, Quinn Ewers, John T. Cook, Cook, uh, Jaden Blue, A.D. Mitchell, right? And So I'm like, okay, Sark's in his bag. The offense is going crazy. We're going to put 40 on everybody. We are unstoppable, right? We're winning the Big 12 Championship this year. And then I watched the game, and I thought the offense was really, really good, right? I thought maybe on a play-to-play basis they were inconsistent, but I thought for the most part the offense was really good. But that wasn't my takeaway when I watched it. when I watched it, I said that defense is flying. That defense looks amazing. And that defense looks like a unit that could be a top 40 to top 50 defense every year at the 40 acres. Based on the talent we're bringing in and based on the development we have seen from this coaching staff. When you look at the 180 they've made from 2021 to what they look like going into the 2023 season, it's night and day. And I'm going to say this right now. By 2025. P. Kikowski should and will be a top head coaching candidate in college football. Now, let's talk about some of the individual position groups and players on this football team that really shine to showcase their talents on Saturday. And we're going to start with the quarterback room because Steve Sarkeesian says that quarterback is the most important position, not only on your football team, but in sports period. And I tend to agree with him when he says that. And he on Saturday confirmed that Quinn Ewers, after the game, will be quarterback one heading into the first game. And people that, you know, are affiliated with the team, fans, people around the program, we knew that to be the case, right? But there was a lot of controversy, narratives, and clicks from the outside suggesting that Malik Murphy or Arch Manning were competing for the quarterback one job this year. And I'm glad he put a rest to all of that noise, especially after the way that Malik looked on Saturday. But when you talk about Quinn Ewers, I thought too often last year he relied on arm talent, right? That same arm talent that made him the number one overall recruit, not just quarterback, overall recruit in the country coming out of South Lake Carroll. And towards the end of the season in Big 12 conference play last year, when he wasn't able to just rely on that arm talent, he struggled. And the team struggled as a result of that. We knew if we wanted to make it to the Big 12 championship game and compete to win that game this year, we're going to have to see a lot of development from quarterback one in Quinn Ewers. And One of the biggest gems I took away from the broadcast when I was watching the every play is the interview with Colt McCoy. And they asked him what a young quarterback can do to develop and improve. And he said, don't memorize anything. I thought this was such a gem. I'm such a quotables person, though. He said, don't memorize anything. Learn, learn the offense, learn what you're trying to accomplish on that side of the ball, and learn what defenses are trying to do to you to slow you down, right? And that's how you can improve and develop as a quarterback. And that's the development I think I saw from Quinn Ewers on Saturday. He looked like he had a much better understanding of the offense, and he consistently found the open receiver. Too often last year, he was not going through his progressions in his reads. He was locking on to Xavier Worthy when there were opportunities to J.T. Sanders and Jordan Whittington underneath. And then on that same breath or token, he was Locking on too often to the deep pass, right? When he could have not went broke taking a profit, right? Short to underneath. But on Saturday, when X was open, he went to him. When Wit was open, he went to him. When JT or AD... It, When JT Sanders or A.D. Mitchell was open, he went to them. When nobody was open, he went to his check down, right? And like I said, that's the progression and development you want to see from Quinn Ewers coupled with that arm talent that we've been raving about since high school. And what I saw on Saturday gives me confidence that individually, Quinn Ewers will have a bounce back year and be one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But this offense that has been good the last two years under Steve Sarkeesian will start to make that transition to great and hopefully elite in 2023. When you talk about Malik Murphy, he wasn't the best quarterback on the field. He was the best player on the field. I'm going to repeat that again. He wasn't the best quarterback on the field. He was the best player on the field. And it was really a welcome sight to see because we haven't seen a lot of Malik Murphy, right? He came into college hurt, didn't participate in spring ball last year, at least in the spring game didn't throw a pass throughout the season and missed the first three spring practices of this year. So we didn't know what to make of the Malik Murphy experience at the 40 acres. But what he showed us on Saturday is when his opportunity is called, he's going to be ready. And I thought that he was really decisive, right? Getting the ball out nor where he knowing where he wanted to go with the ball, uh, I thought that he was really accurate in terms of all areas of the field. He had two throws down the field. One was a completion for a touchdown to Jontae Cook right in the bucket. Another one right in the bucket to DeAndre Moore, which he dropped. There was also two passes into the end zone. Both were deflected, but I thought maybe if he was playing with the first team wide receivers and pass catchers, one of those would have been a touchdown. One was a slant to I can't remember who the other one was a stick route to Gunnar Helm where Leonga LaFowl knocked that down. So almost every incompletion that Malik Murphy had, you can explain it away, right? That's a really good sign. And I thought the biggest thing that I took away from Malik Murphy's performance was the confidence, but also his active feet in the pocket. Too often you see young quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks with the talent level, you know, arm talent level of Malik Murphy and Quinn Ewers, they get lazy with their footwork, right? Because they can stand there flat-footed and almost make any throw. They can stand there flat-footed and throw it 50 to 60 yards still, right? But... What I saw from Malik Murphy and his ability to be accurate, moving to the left, standing in the pocket, or moving to the right, that was because he had active feet in the pocket. On every play where he was throwing the ball, he constantly kept his feet moving, and that's something that we saw inconsistently from Quinn Ewers last year. So it shows that in his second year under Steve Sarkeesian, Malik Murphy has shown a great great development a great deal of development as well. And it was good to see it finally come to fruition on the field on Saturday. And I think he confirmed two things. One, he confirmed that he is quarterback two, and there's a decent size gap between him and Arch Manning right now at quarterback three. And I think the second thing he confirmed is that next offseason there's going to be a legitimate quarterback competition, uh, you know, going into the season. And I think it's going to be a really tough decision to make for Steve Sarkeesian. I don't envy him being in that position deciding between Malik Murphy and Arch Manning, who will be your starting quarterback going into the SEC. When you talk about Arch, I did not expect him to get as many snaps as he did. So that was really good to see. Um, I didn't even think he would be out there signing autographs before the game, you know, so maybe I'm putting too much credit uh, on the Manny name, but I didn't think there were a lot of opportunities for him to make plays. You know, I thought the offensive line as a whole was not great on Saturday, but I thought, especially when Arch was in, they just didn't do anything for him, right? He couldn't make any plays or didn't have any time. And I didn't think his wide receivers did a great job of getting separation. But two things that stood out to me from Arch was, one, his decision-making, right? It was his first game, all the hype surrounding Arch Manning, living up to his recruiting ranking. Malik was balling. Arch was balling. I mean, Quinn was balling. I thought Arch maybe could have tried to force things, but he didn't. Even when nothing was there, he kind of just took his L's and took his lumps and, you know, didn't have a good day. There were no splash plays to be made on offense, but the good thing is he didn't make a splash play for the defense. And you see that a lot with young quarterbacks trying to force things. He didn't force things even in his first action at the 40 acres. And the second thing was his mobility, right? Like I said, there was not a lot there in the passing game, but there were a few instances where he, you know, took off with his legs and picked up six to seven yards, kept the chains moving and got first downs. That's something that we probably could have saw a little bit more from Quinn Ewers last year. So it's good to see that already as a part of Arch Manning's game because You know, there's going to be times where nothing's open and you're going to have to make plays as a quarterback with your legs. And it's good to see Arch already showing the ability to do that when you move on to the running back room. I don't think Saturday created any clarification on how this running back room is going to look this year. And it was easy to kind of divvy up the touches because Jonathan Brooks and Keenan Robinson didn't participate. But when all five of those players are healthy, that includes Savion Red, Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue. I don't know who you decide starts, who you decide gets the touches and who you decide sits on the bench. But I'm thankful I don't have that type of stress in my life. And that's why Steve Sarkeesian and Tashar Choice get paid billions of dollars to make those types of decisions. When you talk about Savion Red, he reminds me so much of Roshan Johnson. It's not exactly the playing style, but it's the physicality, right? He's somebody that when you put the ball in his hands, you just expect him to get four to five yards. If it's a short yardage situation, you expect him to get the first down. And I think he can be your closer, right? If you go into the fourth quarter of a game with a lead, you're going to win that game if you put the ball in Savion Red's hands because you show me the team and you show me the defense that's going to want to tackle him consistently in the fourth quarter, right? It's just not going to happen. Like I said, he brings that physicality and that toughness, that same toughness that Roshan Johnson brought to the 40 acres for four years. When you look at Cedric Baxter, I think the talent is there, right? You saw the talent that made him the number one running back in the country, but he still needs a lot of development, right? He's three months removed from high school. That's natural. And two, I don't think he's at the point yet to where he can make plays independent of a bad offensive line. I don't think the offensive line is bad, but I don't think they played well on Saturday. Right. And so a lot of plays where he was kind of sitting back behind the offensive line, you know, trying to decide which hole to hit. He just got tackled in the backfield or didn't make a lot of plays. There was one play where he got in the open field and made somebody miss. But then right after that, Jet Bush hit him right and tackled him. So, like I said, I I, you know, thought maybe you would have saw more splash plays from Cedric Baxter. Running back position is probably the easiest position to translate. Uh, from high school to or transition to from from high school to college, but you know I think at this point Savion Red, Jaden Blue, and Jonathan Brooks are probably just a little further ahead than Cedric Baxter. But he's going to be a part of this offense this year and definitely still looks like the future of the running back position at the Forty Acres. Jaden Blue, as a Cowboys fan, I'm watching it and the first thing that comes to mind is that's Tony Pollard, right? Just the explosiveness and his ability to make home run hitting plays consistently throughout the game. I said that's Tony Pollard, right? Especially when he makes a play where he scores turning his back to the end zone and somehow still scores a touchdown while making three or four people miss down the field right I was like this is Tony Pollard and he makes plays that nobody else in this running back room can make right you could talk about Savion Reddy his physicality you could talk about Cedric Baxter kind of being the full package and him being a big running back at 6162 you could talk about Jonathan Brooks and his running style they're all amazing players But nobody in this room has the home run hitting ability on a play to play basis that Jaden Blue does on any given play. He has the ability to hit his head on the goalposts and he's going to be special and remind you why he was the number one running back in the country before he opted out his senior year. Now, as impressed as I was with that long run, he had to score the touchdown. I was equally unimpressed or disappointed with his lack of effort on I don't know what they were trying to do but Xavier Worthy throws him a pass and he just looks at it and makes a business decision right I hope that's not something he's going to do throughout the season but like I said anytime you put the ball in Jaden Blue's hands he is a threat to take it to the house and somebody that's going to get a lot of touches for this Texas football team this year we talk about the wide receiver room we looked really good on paper in the wide receiver room and that did not translate to production last year we look really good on paper in terms of the wide receiver room right now. And I think that's definitely gonna translate to production this year. Even as much talent as we had in the wide receiver room last year, This wide receiver room looks leaps and bounds ahead of it, right? And that's saying a lot. And it starts with Xavier Worthy, who, of course, had a down year for multiple reasons last year. Maybe it was lack of focus, lack of effort, lack of concentration, having a broken hand, whatever it was, right? But we're expecting to see 2021 Xavier Worthy or better rather than 2022 Xavier Worthy. And on Saturday, I thought you saw the speed and the route running that makes him elite, right? Made him one of the best, you know, true freshman wide receivers in 2021. And it's a reason why he's one of the five best wide receivers coming into the season, this year in college football. And he caught everything, right? It's amazing what you can do with two non-broken hands, right? And he's a bulldog after the catch. I think it was BJ Allen that he trucked on the sideline. So he can make plays all over the field. Like I said, I thought that play that uh, Quinn Ewers, the ball Quinn Ewers threw to Xavier Worthy was the best pass of the day. And you would like to see him score on that, but you know, we're just going to start with baby steps. He caught the ball, right? (laughs) And that's something we didn't see a lot of last year. So I expect Xavier Worthy to build on what he did in 2021 and definitely be a Bolitnikov candidate and be one of the best college football wide receivers this year. Jordan Whittington is just a football IQ, right? He knows where to be on the field in zone coverage, knows how to get open and be available to his quarterback in man coverage. He knows how to get open and set up defenders to be open for his quarterback. And he's just a playmaker with the ball in his hands. You saw that play where he just put Jaron Thompson into the dirt and they got 10 to 15 yards running after kicks. We saw last year Jordan Whittington finally be able to put a full season together, and I thought he was good, but he was used inconsistently. I expect Jordan Whittington in the slot this year to be even better than he was last year and be one of the best slot receivers in college football. And then we talk about A.D. Mitchell. He's just a freak. Right. And, And there's a reason you don't see players too often in the transfer portal as talented as he is. Or with the accomplishments that he has because he's 6'4 and he's physical but he's also fluid and he's just nuanced as a wide receiver and he could do so many things even though his shorts are intermediate routes I was like he looks so polished as a wide receiver and then of course you saw the splash play where Quinn threw it a little high and he just went up and snagged I don't even think he had to catch it with one hand I think he just did it just to show like I'm here right <laughs> so A.D. Mitchell is going to be a superstar this year at the 40 acres and it is such a blessing that a player that talented and that accomplished was in the transfer portal and wanted to come back to his home state in Texas and play with that burnt orange and white. And then when you talk about Jontae Cook and DeAndre Moore, I think Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore are your future version of, you know, your ex receiver in Xavier Worthy and then DeAndre Moore in the slot in Jordan Whittington's position. And of course, Jonte is just a thicker Xavier Worthy and we saw him making plays all over the field. Of course, that deep pass where he took off on the DB. They were literally level when he caught the ball and the DB couldn't even get a hand on him. He just went into another gear after he caught the ball and took it into the end zone. And then DeAndre Moore, he had a bad day. He had two big drops. I think Malik Murphy's first pass he dropped. And then, of course, the deep pass, which potentially could have been a touchdown. But I think he showed the ability to get open and get separation consistently on his routes. And he's really polished as a wide receiver. And I remember when Jamar Chase in the preseason dropped five passes and people were saying, don't draft him. He's a bust. Right. And now he's one of the five best receivers in college football. So I think DeAndre Moore had a bad day, but he consistently got open. He's going to be a really good wide receiver for this Texas football team, like I said. John T. Cook and DeAndre Moore are your future and maybe more talented version of Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whitteson. Tight end, I was very, I wouldn't say concerned, but I was disappointed in the inconsistent usage. Right. I thought that, you know, we've talked all offseason about JT Sanders might be the second best tight end in the country behind Brock Bowers. And he didn't have a catch on Saturday. Right. They went to him early in the game. Covers was tight, but he did drop the ball. So that's on JT Sanders. But you know, Steve Sarkisian is going to have to find a way to utilize all of these players in the offense this year. And JT Sanders is going to be a huge part of that. So for him to not have a catch in the orange and white game, I was a little disappointed in that, but obviously I still expect a huge season from one of the most talented players in the country period in JT Sanders and even Gunnar Helm. I remember, like I said, the play where Leonga LaFalle knocked the ball out of his hands in the end zone, but he wasn't utilized a lot as well. Like I think tight end and any Steve Sarkisian offense is going to be a big part. So, you know, There were times last year where JT Sanders was used inconsistently, and Saturday kind of felt like deja vu, at least to me, right? Not Obviously, I'm not crying. I'm not, you know, it's not a knock on Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not, you know, ripping my hair out going into the season. But like I said, we saw inconsistent usage with JT Sanders last year. We saw the same thing on Saturday, and that was concerning. Now, I do want to give JT Sanders credit because on that Jaden Blue run, like I said, the offensive line was not great all day. But I thought the biggest reason that JT – or the biggest reason that Jaden Blue sprung to the end zone was J.T. Sanders came around and sealed the edge and got Ethan Burke on that block and Jaden Blue really did not get touched until he was twenty yards down the field because of it. So we know that J.T. Sanders is elite receiving and blocking and he showed that blocking on Saturday in the Orange and or White game. I wish he would have gotten the opportunity to show it in the receiving game. And when you talk about the offensive line, you know it's hard to you know tell. You're dealing with some injuries right now. D.J. Campbell was out it's different units and different things. I know that, you know, Pete Kakowski was doing a really good job of drawing it up, but I just thought overall the offensive line was not great. You know, that Kevin Banks is a superstar. He's going to be good. Christian Jones was good for the most part. There were a few plays he gave up, but just for the most part, I didn't think the offensive line was great. There was a lot of times where all three quarterbacks, Malik Murphy, Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning were under pressure and the running backs couldn't get anything going. Like I said, the best play of the day came on a block that was really sprung by JT Sanders and not the offensive line. So, You know, I think that, you know, the offensive line is just going to have to figure out who the five best are and continue to grow and develop throughout the course of the offseason. They're going to have to get healthy. But I thought on Saturday they did not have their best showing. Now, as I always say, iron sharpens iron. And if the offensive line wasn't great, that means that the defensive line was dominant. And that's all I saw, you know, and I thought Pekowski did a really good job of, you know, calling plays for the defense. Right. I never was watching the every play. And I was like, Oh, I know where they're coming from or how many they're going to bring or what coverage they're in. I thought he did a really good job of that. And like I said, the defensive line was dominant. They caused havoc for each offensive line unit, right? So Andre sweat, Byron Murphy, Ethan Burke, Alfred Collins, Sadir Mitchell and justice Finkley were all players that I saw specifically making plays. Like I said, the defense were the, the standouts to me on the day. Right. And I think, you know, I think that they had like five or six sacks in the orange <laughs> and white game. So They were really causing a lot of havoc in the backfield and the running backs just had nowhere to go. I remember there was a play or there was a series where the first series, I don't know if it was the first series of the game. It wasn't the first series of the game because they went three and out. But the series where I think they gave the ball to who did they give the ball to three straight times? They gave the ball to I think Jaden blew three straight times on the goal line. And he got stopped on first, second, and third down. And then finally, Sergio Baxter got in there on fourth down. But that just shows how hard that defensive line was playing. When you make three straight stops on first, second, third, and goal, right, the defensive line was balling. Like I said, six to seven sacks to their name. They caused havoc and pressure all day, right, regardless of who the quarterback was, regardless of who the offensive line unit was. And then when you talk about the linebackers, because the defensive line was so dominant, they were making plays as well, just flying from sideline to sideline, making plays all over the field. Of course, the All-American, Jalen Ford. But I saw David Bender. He made plays. Like I said, Jet Bush made a hell of a play in the open field against the number one running back in the country. And Cedric Baxter, Mo Blackwell doesn't miss tackles. And when he hits you, you're going to feel it. <laughs> right. And then we saw Anthony Hill and Leonga younger both make splash plays at that linebacker position as well so just talent and depth is crazy and then when you talk about the dbs the coverage was sticky i thought early on there was a few drops i thought jordan whittington had a drop jt sanders had a drop of course deandre moore had two drops but even then, with those drops, I thought the coverage was really sticky, right? And Ryan Watts and Terrence Brooks, they were really good throughout the game. Jade Barron, he just brings so much to this football team. But even the corners behind them, whether it was Xavier Bryce, uh, Austin Jordan, Malik Murphy. You, I mean, not Malik Murphy, Malik Muhammad, right? Like I said, you just saw them all really being in the hip pocket of those receivers. And that's going to bode really well when they have to cover you know, receivers not on this Texas football team. Because how often are you going to face a room as talented as what you go against every day? In practice, and then in terms of the safety position, I thought Jaron Thompson, who's one of my favorite players on the team, he had a few light skin moments. You know what I That's what I like to say. Last year, he had a couple light skin moments in this game, right? He had the one play where Jordan Widdington just trucked him into the earth, you know, Bijan Robinson, Billy Bowman style, and then picked up ten to fifteen more yards. And then on the play where Jaden Blue scored, Jaron Thompson was in position to make a play and kind of just sat there, you know, shuffling his feet and let Jaden Blue run right past him. Right? It was one of those business decision mr you know go 30 like a davis type play right Pissed down his leg i'm not an athlete <laughs> one of those type of plays so like i said Jaren thompson is one of my favorite players on the team i think he'll definitely be you know a first or second all big 12 uh you know type of performer this season but he had a few light plays in the orange and white game that led to some big plays on the offensive side of the ball but overall my big takeaways were So much talent and depth on this football team, on the offensive uh, offensive and defensive sides of the ball. I think there's no excuse. This team should be in the Big 12 championship game this year, and they should win the Big 12 championship based on the level of talent and depth they have on this football team. And my third biggest takeaway is that we could talk about this offense all we want, but we are watching the building of a special unit on the defensive side of the ball in terms of what P. is building. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Longhorns. We're going to continue to talk about the orange and white game all week. I just want to give you my initial thoughts on it. Like I said, great things ahead at the 40 Acres. Hook them. Peace.